According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. One more time, we're in Proverbs 21. I don't know that we'll finish the chapter today. We might if we jump on it fast enough. We'll see. Remember, next week there is no Proverbs class. Next week is the week of the Schaefer uh, Theological Seminary uh, Pastors Conference. So we'll be on a reduced schedule next week, and uh, we won't have a Wednesday morning service, and uh, Cornelius is uh, uh, covering for me Wednesday night. So if you come one week from tonight, then uh, Cornelius has. Uh, Yes, theoretically. Well, I don't know. I'll find out on Thursday. So yeah, uh, I'm going to be in Schaefer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on Thursday, I drive to uh, Temple, and the VA uh, consultation there will hopefully be a, uh, a pre-op appointment for the cataract surgery. So, uh, but that's what I thought last time. When I, went to, when I went to my last pre-op appointment, they said, well, bad news is um, this is no longer a pre-op appointment because we're not doing operations. So anyway, that's in the Lord's hands as well. He knows what he's doing, and, and uh, he's the faithful one. Let's open the word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get to our material here in Proverbs 21, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. And we call upon your faithfulness, Father, to uh, open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. Bless the study of your truth this morning. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm kind of taking the final uh, verses here of the chapter and uh, combining them into a, into a main point, which is main point 22. And I have the slide ready to go. There it is. I notice I've done this too with other chapters as well. I, I, it's probably just uh, my impatience. I don't know what it is. I, I'm getting to the end of the chapter. And I think, all right, let's wrap it up and move on to the next one, you know, so... Uh, anyway, I find that in a lot of my chapter outlines, the final point is just kind of, uh, here's what the end of the chapter does, let's, let's get on with it. But chapter 21 closes with four verses detailing the pure simplicity of walking humbly with God. And I love this. I think this is marvelous. And so as we look at verses 28 through 31 here and we see uh, what this pure simplicity really is, uh, and, and I kind of take that language from uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, where Paul was concerned that as uh, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The Christian way of life is a simple walk. It's just you listen to the voice of the Lord, you do what you're told, right? You listen to the Lord and you walk with Him. And uh, simple, right? Not easy, <laughs> but simple. Because, uh, you know, the simplicity is is we just listen and we walk. But the Difficulty is, of course, is our sin natures and our pride and huma- humanity, and we, uh, we make it much more difficult than it needs to be. I also like the verse in Micah 6 and verse 8, you know, what is required of you, O man? And he has told you, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So, you know, when you look at, at those verses, Micah 6, 8 and 2 Corinthians 11, um, it just seems to me like we're dealing with the simplicity of the walk. 
You know, that when we talk about the doctrine of peripatology, the doctrine of uh, the, the, the believer's walk, what does it mean to walk with God? And uh, peripatology studies, we included one in our basic doctrinal studies. We need to go back and uh, expand upon that with a more intermediate study. And then I think there's advanced uh, realms of peripatology as well. Very advanced doctrines related to how we walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, redeeming the time for, our, for the days are evil. And uh, some of this we'll touch on in uh, the Colossians class. But when we're looking at Proverbs 21, 28 through 31, and I think uh, the final four verses here can be encapsulated in this way, a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. So this is what we're called to do. We're called to listen. And so this is part of our, uh, the simplicity of our walk with God listening to God, and the blessings of not only listening are the blessings and privileges that we have to then communicate, to be able to speak forever. And we're going to talk about that this morning, the testimony that we have for all eternity. Not just that we live forever, but that we are loquacious forever, that we are, we are talking forever. We have eternal life and we have eternal loquaciousness, that uh, the blessings to be able to talk about the glories of, of the Lord forever. And uh, we never run out of time to talk about him because there's never, uh, we never run, about, uh, run out of the infinite glory that we have to testify related to our Savior. So stay tuned for this. We'll touch upon this here this morning. But a false witness will perish. That's, that's the crowd that's going to, to hell in the lake of fire because uh, without Christ, we perish. And uh, the brood of vipers is the, the liars that are going with him to, uh, to hell. All right, then verse 29. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. Great description of the Christian walk, the simplicity and purity of walking with the Lord. And uh, if you're pursuing the wicked path uh, in the A part of that verse, then you've got to display the bold face. You've got to have put on an external show, have a, have a display of confidence that you know what you're doing. Uh, whereas if you're walking with the Lord, you can just uh, be humble and say, oh, the Lord knows what he's doing. I'm, I'm walking by faith. And uh, it's a glory then to, uh, to have the sure path. In all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your steps. Verse 30, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. And how simple is it? Uh, we can't create a plan against God's plan, so why try? <coughs> let's, just, uh, let's just follow his plan and uh, realize that in this angelic conflict, there's the side that's going to win and there's the side that's already lost. So let's, uh, let's join with, uh, with the Lord and uh, not be fighting against him. And then finally, uh, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Let's not confuse the earthly preparations with the true battle, because God's in charge. And uh, it's not a license for laziness either. <coughs> it's not an excuse to just do nothing and trust that God's got a handle on it. We still prepare the horse for the day of battle. Don't get me wrong. You better have your armor on. You better have the horse prepared. You better be ready to go. But when you do everything you can do in earthly terms, when you've done your due diligence and you are obedient in, uh, in secular life, then at the end of the day you relax about it and say the results are in God's hands. So, um, because victory belongs to the Lord. So that's a quick snapshot and we'll see how far we get with it. But the idea of walking with the Lord is fundamental to the scriptures and foundational to everything. And we have this idiom throughout Genesis, walking with the Lord, walking with the Lord. And so let's just pick up with this, and then we'll, we'll uh, get the subpoints A, B, C, and D. 
But uh, in Genesis 3.8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. So the, the concept of walking is nothing new, okay? It's not unique to the church age. We, we walk with God as church age believers. But uh, in Israel's stewardship, they walked with God. In the Gentile stewardship, they walked with God. Even uh, before sin, Adam and Eve were in the habit, this was the routine, of walking with God, walking with the Lord. And they had a designated time, a designated place. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so the cool of the day, this is uh, usually understood, uh, Arnold says it's in the late afternoon as the sun begins to drop. Uh, so it's after the hard work portion, it's after, um, anyway, there, there's discussion on that. But whatever we decide, and it doesn't really matter fundamentally, it's just an appointed time. And, and can two men walk together without an appointment? You, know, they, you have to coordinate the time that you're meeting so that you can schedule that and, and, and have, the, have the discussion. So this was the daily routine that uh, they would walk with the Lord, except for this day, of course. On this day, they've got a problem. They, they're now sinners. And so for the first time ever, uh, Adam and Eve are motivated to not take their walk with the Lord. And, uh, and so they hide. And this is what we'll be dealing with Sunday morning. Then uh, in Genesis 5, 24, another expression, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And this is characteristic of Enoch and is different from all the other Toledoth generations in this chapter because those are statements of living, begetting, living some more, and dying. Live, beget, live, and die. Live, beget, live, and die. That's the pattern through all of these generations in Genesis 5 until you get to Enoch. Enoch stands out because Enoch walked with God. And uh, he walked with God 300 years after. So he lived, he begat, he became the father of Methuselah. But then instead of saying he lived, he begat, he lived, it says he lived, he begat, and he walked with God. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then instead of saying he died, it repeats the walking with God testimony. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Just he came to a moment of, no, of, of non-earthly existence because God translated him. God took him. He was not for God took him. And so having been taken, having been transported, having been removed from this earth to the personal presence of God himself, God took him and so he was not, without physical death, removed from this earthly existence. And this is what we're looking forward to. This is why we're walking. Day by day, we're walking, waiting for that trumpet, waiting to be snatched, waiting to be taken, as Enoch was. Get into the next chapter, and we'll find the testimony of Noah. These are the Toledoth, the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And so each time we get another reference to walking with God, we're adding a slight detail, we're adding some some data to our understanding, and we ought to just put these together and start making uh, a comprehensive list. Uh, on a, this is an inductive process whereby we can, we can process what it means to walk with God. So um, that means unconfessed sin. We can't be hiding from Him in darkness. That means uh, that, uh, that we're, we're righteous, we're blameless. The, the descriptions that we have here related to Adam, related to Enoch, and now related to 
Noah. When we get to Abraham, we realize, Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And so we have another idiom that we have here, not only walking with the Lord that we've seen uh, three times prior to Abraham, but now we have walking before me, that is in my immediate observation, in my immediate view as the representative head of a new covenant, of a new, um, of a new stewardship. See, be, be, before Abraham, it was just the dispensation of the Gentiles. But now we have the calling forth of the Jewish people. And so Abram is walking before him. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And so we have here at the, in, at the inception of this uh, situation, not only walking with God, but walking before God. So it really becomes fundamental. And then like I say, Micah 6.8, uh, what does God require of you? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So it's normative. It's normative for born-again believers of every stewardship, Gentile, Jew, church. It's going to continue to be normative in the tribulation. It's going to continue to be normative in the millennium. And then let me tell you, for a thousand generations on the new earth, walking humbly with their God is going to be uh, the glorious delight of the, of the fullness of time. All right, so let's uh, now look at verse 28 and get some additional detail. Listening and proclaiming the, the true witness leads to the eternal testimony. We need to get in the habit now of listening and proclaiming. We need to get in the habit now of being hearers and witnessers, uh, martyrs, if you will, of what we hear and not uh, proclaiming our own wisdom, but simply testifying to that which we hear. So let's look back. Again, Proverbs 21, 28. A false witness will perish. So he's here for now, but he's headed for the lake of fire. His eternal destiny is not, not our eternal destiny. The false witness will perish, but the man who listens, and the idea of listening to the truth, um, if you want to put those helping words in there, that's fine, but essentially it's just he who hears right? He that has an ear, let him hear from the New Testament. It's the one who hears, the listener. And, uh, you know, I find it to be a, a tremendous um, accolade, you know, as an appellative, as a name that you could, you could be, you know, uh, we have the great or the conqueror or the terrible or, you know, different uh, labels you can attach to the end of your name. How about the listener? I would love that. Just call me Bob the listener because you know, what a, what a great privilege to listen to the Lord day by day, moment by moment, to, to post myself on the wall and listen and hear what, what He says to me and, and to be prepared to how I might respond when I'm reproved. So the listener, the man who listens, will speak forever. And so really it's a, it's a description of a believer, it's a description of someone who has heard the, the, the gospel and responded by faith and that continues to hear, continues to hear, so the true disciple that's a lifelong hearer is going to be an eternal lifelong speaker, going to be one that testifies forever, will speak forever. And I love that, speaking forever. The blessings that we have to testify. And you say, well, I don't want to speak. I don't like to speak. I, I'm not comfortable with public speaking. Well, you better start getting comfortable with it because God's going to expect you to testify forever. 
I will sing the wondrous story, you know. And sometimes I joke about it when, when we we announce a hymn and we say, all right, this hymn is uh, I love to tell the story. So if you don't love to tell the story, then just sit down and close your mouth and don't don't be a hypocrite singing this hymn, right? Um, but the the point is that's just having fun with people. But the, but how can you how can you truly sing the hymn I love to tell the story if you don't love to tell the story? That's right. If you if you if uh, for whatever reason uh, fear or shyness or whatnot, um, no, let's let's ask the Lord to get us through this because He has called us to be His witnesses, not the the secret agent undercover Christians that never tell anybody about what we've heard. Okay, the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. So, <clears throat> leading to the eternal testimony, and I recommend, you know, this life is the preparation for the next. So let's. Let's prepare now by our willingness to speak, our willingness to give an account, to give an answer to anyone who would ask. If somebody wants to know, you know, well, what do you think about this? Just let them know what you think and say, I could be wrong, but this is what I presently think. This is, I'm shaped by the Word of God, and this is my conviction, and uh, this is what I think. So uh, we're going to be speaking forever. Now, I like some of these uh, other references as well. Let's talk about them. Malachi chapter 2. The final book of the Old Testament. Sometimes we call him the, the great Italian prophet, and that's just the, the goofy mispronunciation of Malachi. If uh, you think this is the prophet Malachi, then you got uh, the great Italian prophet of the Old Testament. But anyway, Malachi, my messenger, my messenger, Malachi. And uh, as we read here, my covenant with him. And this is, uh, we back up slightly here kind of like this. And, and if we didn't have this, we would be diminished in our understanding of the Levites. Um, because if all we knew about Levi was from Genesis and, and, and Exodus, we'd have a pretty grim view. Levi and Simeon and the murder that they did and some of the other things. Um, and it kind of boggles the mind that Levi is picked out to be a priestly tribe. But here we get a glimpse. And it comes in, in Malachi. So um, this commandment is for you, O priest, if you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. So in Malachi's generation, there's a rebuke that's being sent forth to, the, uh, to that generation of priests, that they were, uh, they were not listening and responding. Okay? And so it's, a, it's a fair warning. We better pay attention to it today as church-age believer priests that uh, we have a, a stricter accountability than, than Levi ever had. But notice the tandem, listening. Every priesthood is expected to listen. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your, off, your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Ooh, that's gruesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, the scriptures can get vulgar on occasion. This is this is one of those. Um, you know, it doesn't give us license to be gratuitous in the pulpit. We don't deliberately choose vulgar terms just to make the point, but God does, and uh, that kind of gets my attention. Anyway, then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of Hosts. A covenant with Levi. Now, usually when we break down the covenants, and we have the Adamic covenant, the Edenic covenant, the Noahic covenant, 
all before Israel, but then the Abrahamic covenant, and then the Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, New Covenant. Um, then there's different labels for the, the land portion, the Palestinian or the, the land covenant. But this is a, a covenant with Levi that's not usually spotlighted in our breakdown on different covenant studies, but because we didn't know about it until we have this glimpse here in, in Malachi. Notice, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. This is talking about the person Levi, the son of Jacob, the tribal head. And we didn't know about this in Genesis. We didn't know about this in Exodus or anywhere. All we knew is that when it came time to breaking down the tribes and their inheritance, the tribe of Levi didn't get a normal tribal inheritance, but they were set apart to be the priestly tribe uh, to serve the other 12 tribes. But now we find there was a personal covenant. Yahweh made a personal covenant with Levi, the person, Levi, the, the son of, uh, of Israel. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them life and peace to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Well, this is kind of cool. I'm glad to hear about this. I wouldn't have known this. You know, when the brothers went down to Egypt and when they brought their dad down there with them and when, when the book of Genesis closes uh, and kind of the in-between Genesis and Exodus, because by the time Exodus opens, uh, they're in bondage, right? A, a pharaoh arises who doesn't regard Joseph and who, who is afraid of the Jewish people and puts them all in bondage. In between Genesis and Exodus there, we never had a clue that the person of Levi became such a great Bible teacher, became such a great um, listener and speaker of truth. Maybe I shouldn't use the word Bible teacher because there's no Bible yet, right? There's no, there's no written canon at this point. It's just uh, the, the verbal messages from, from, the, from the patriarchs. So true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. Well, good for him. What a great, what a great what epitaph, you know, and I'm glad we have this recorded in, um, in, in Malachi. For the lips of a priest, and notice, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. So this is a, a great verse to go with our comprehensive parapetology that we put together that spans all dispensations. Every born-again believer was expected to be walking with the Lord. And if you're a priest, oh my, we have even greater accountability. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And, um, of course, play on words with Malachi himself, my messenger, that's what his name means. But anyway, um, the priest is not there to impress people with, with his own information, He's there to convey what it is that God is, is revealing, what God is, is portraying. So uh, anyway, I, I enjoy this. So there's walking in tandem with listening, in tandem with serving your fellow believers and edifying a larger group, even, in fact, turning back many from iniquity, as we see here. Anyway, I love this text. Mal Malachi chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. We've got another one in Psalm 40. 
And I know it says verses 9 and 10, so I'll make sure I spotlight those as we get there. But Psalm 40 is, uh, if I have to list my top 10 favorite psalms, uh, Psalm 40 is in the top 10, clearly. I mean, it's just, I just, it's a hard time limiting it to 10, but there's 150 to choose from, and uh, which ones make the top 10, and based on what? I don't know, my, my mood from day to day, maybe, because <laughs> there's so many good ones. But Psalm 40, it is Davidic. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. So as part of this, um, <clears throat> part of this walking with the Lord is, I'm speaking to him, he's speaking to me, I'm waiting for what he says, he's waiting for me to call out on him and, and, and call to him. So I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So if you're tempted to be a curmudgeon and you only like the old, old songs and, and uh, you don't like the new songs, then this verse might help, help you out on that or help me out on that, okay? Um, nothing wrong with a new song as long as the song communicates, as long as the song praises God biblically. And, and any time that God has answered a prayer in your life or, or blessed you or any time you can testify that God is a God of grace and, and this day He has manifest that, well then, this day deserves a new song, doesn't it? Because this is a new testimony to, to God's glory. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord because we're testifying to what He's done in my life. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. This goes so well with what we're looking at in, in Proverbs 21, 28, the the, uh, the false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. And so it's a blessing. Ashere happiness is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Again, walking by faith. We're saved by faith, we're walking by faith. Not turning to the proud, not turning to those who lapse into falsehood. Since I'm a born-again believer, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm rejecting Satan's plan and program for this fallen cosmos. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. We can never run out of things to testify. That uh, there's, a, there's a million good reasons to praise Him each and every day. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Or... A body you have prepared for me is how this gets quoted in the Septuagint and in the book of Hebrews. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. Jesus quotes this. This is our Savior going to the cross. And it's not an external ritual. It's not religion. It's obedience. My ears you have opened. And I like that. Since we're listeners, we have ears to hear. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This was our Savior's testimony. This should be our testimony. Uh, when the Lord says, Who, Whom shall I send? Well, if our ears are open, we heard Him ask that question, and we're saying, Here I am, Lord, send me. We are listeners and we are speakers. 
I delight to do your will, O my God. All right, verse 9 then. All of that was leading up to verses 9 and 10. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he knew that on the other side of the cross, he had a testimony that he was looking forward to delivering. He was going to be able to declare God's righteousness to the congregation. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. The testimony that Jesus Christ, well, first of all, David, when David offered this, when he composed Psalm 40, But then Jesus quoted this when he had his victory on the cross. We get to quote this. Anytime God is faithful with us, let's stand up and testify. Let's let the world know, humans and angels alike, that God is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. How can we restrain our lips? How can we hide the testimony? I should have also included beyond Psalm 40, the... uh, the text here with, yep, there it is. Psalm 22, 22 and 25. Psalm 22 is when he's on the cross, right? And, um, am I allowed one side trip per hour? Let's go ahead. (laughs) Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is, Jesus quotes this. And not just this one verse, I'm convinced. I can't prove it, but why would he stop there? Why would he not recite the entirety of Psalm 22 while he's, uh, while he's hanging there? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Again, David wrote this based on his own, I think, visionary experience. I believe that there's nothing in David's life that relates to the cross. That he, he, what David was never crucified. But he saw a crucifixion from the first-person perspective. He saw it. He described it. He wrote about it. I believe the Lord took him forward in time and put him on the cross and let him see this a thousand years before before Jesus. My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. If you've got a heritage whereby your parents and grandparents and forefathers uh, have been able to testify from generation to generation that the Lord is, is faithful, praise God for that. And uh, here's David citing the, the, the testimony of the patriarchs and Jesus citing the testimony of David and the patriarchs and on it goes. We can trust the testimony of Jesus and David and the patriarchs, and on and on it goes. Our children will testify to our testimony. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Never, never does a believer trust in the Lord and be disappointed. That's a promise. That's a promise. There's never yet been and there never will be a born-again believer that applied faith and trusted in in the Lord that was let down and regretted it. (laughs) 
okay, can't happen. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. So if you need, if you need, uh, you know, public acclaim, if you need popularity, if you need, uh, forget it. That's not the Christian walk. In fact, uh, the, the closer you are to the Lord, the more the world's going to hate you. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the wit lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver him. Let Him rescue him, because He delights in him. Oh, what a terrible lie. If God loved you, He wouldn't put you on that cross. Why, why doesn't He get you off of there? Yet you are He, and here's the... He's observing everything that's around him, and then he's just giving it back to the Lord, praying to the Father. You are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Whatever his infant capacity was that, that preserved him from sin as a, as a newborn, as a one-year-old, as a two-year-old, you know, Jesus never had the terrible twos. <laughs> and the whole time, the whole time, as a, as a nursing babe and as being weaned, by the time he was weaned, he had the capacity to choose a good and refuse the evil. I was cast from birth. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bowls have surrounded me. Strong bowls of Bashan have encircled me. Bashan is pretty advanced angelology studies there, if you ever get into that. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This never happened to David. In fact, this method of execution didn't exist in David's lifetime. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isn't this beautiful? I love this. A thousand years before the cross, and David saw it. And he saw it from the perspective of hanging there, being crucified. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life, my only life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Now, that's kind of a neat chapter just right there, but he doesn't stop. Look at this next section here, 22 and 23. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. So just as soon as this crucifixion is over here's what i'm looking forward to next this is what i plan to do after after the death because the death isn't the end after the resurrection you talk about faith i will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly i will praise you you who fear the lord praise him all you descendants of jacob glorify him stand in awe of him all you descendants of israel for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him for help, he heard. You talk about a great answer to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
he, he hadn't forsaken me. He heard. Just for a moment, the darkness was necessary. But from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. You talk about hearing well done, good and faithful servant. The testimony Jesus received from the Father is the greatest testimony of all. All right, well, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. You looking forward to that? Are you looking forward to the millennium, uh, millennial kingdom and in the fullness of time? And even before the millennium, when we're raptured out of here and we get to glory, um, there's going to be some feasting in heaven. It's gonna, I, I'm looking forward to it. I like to eat. I figure if I like to eat on earth, I like to eat even more in heaven. Okay? Resurrection body, no cavities. I mean, there's going to be no, uh, no calories. Old cavities, I guess. Um, I mean, just think about it. And no drunkenness? Drinking the glorious wine of heaven? So yeah, eating and being satisfied. I'm cool with that. But then we get to this next part. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. That means you have to say something? Yep, you have to say something. And you've got to say it out loud. And you've got to keep on saying it forever. Let your heart live forever. Anyway, skip down to verse 31. Um, Psalm 89. Now this one is not Davidic. This one is amazing when it comes to angelic conflict and other heavenly uh, angelic aspects. It is a masculine of Ethan, the Ezraite. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. We got, we got hymns that adapt to this. We, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Right? We sing it. Do we, do we process it? Do we realize that we have all forever in front of us to never stop praising? To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. So we get a thousand years on, on this earth in the millennium, and then we get a thousand generations on the new earth, and we can't stop. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. Psalm 89 is a marvelous reinforcement of the Davidic covenant, and it shows us spanning the human and the angelic realm, the, um, the nature of God's promise to, to David. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. It's an earthly praise, it's a heavenly praise. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Not that liar. <laughs> Not that Satan, that liar that said, I will be like the Most High God, he's, he's getting thrown down. He's got a different destiny. Who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the counsel of the Holy Ones and awesome above all who are around Him. This is the divine counsel that... I do recommend the Michael Heisen material just with caution. I think he does good work with angels. He does good work with the uh, divine counsel. 
um, that he's not dispensational and that, that damages his other understanding of things. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Okay? It's not the Jericho harlot. This is, this is the name for, for Satan, the broad one and his pride and his rebellion. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south. You have created them. And this is, uh, I, I believe, this is heavenly or angelic geography when we start to look at north and south, east and west, some of these terms. And um, terms like Bashan, terms like Tabor, Hermon. There were earthly mountains that had these names, but then there were also uh, in the angelic realm, the, in the spirit dimension. These names have significance. Anyway, you have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. So going before you, again, walk before me and be blameless is what the Lord told Abraham, right? But now it's loving kindness and truth go before you. This is God the Son the, the, in hypostatic union, right? The alpha moment begotten one is righteousness and truth who goes before God the Father. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day. In your righteousness they are exalted. Anyway, are we going to wait for heaven to start glorifying God or are we going to start right now? Let's start right now. Let's tell anybody and everybody today how great our God is. Let's, let's be, you know, and even beyond, um, you know, a helpful hint for how uh, an unbeliever cannot go to hell. Beyond that, just our gospel evangelism is one thing. What about just the, the praise and glory to, to the God that's worthy of it? Let's glorify Him. They're busy glorifying their God all the time. Anyway, there's more. Psalm 89, like I say, Psalm 89 is amazing. Once you spoke in visions to your godly ones. And, and this, you know, I think this is angelic as well. There's just so much here. Um, as far as what was the consequence of Satan's fall. And when, when one-third of them rebelled and two-thirds of them stayed loyal, what was the message they then received? What was their promise? Were they given a seed of the woman promise? Were they given any kind of hope? Were they given any kind of a, a resolution or an offer to return? Once you spoke in a vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty, I have, ex I have exalted one chosen from the people. But then he takes it back to David here. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom I have, my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. There is so much more related to the Davidic covenant. I think the Davidic covenant gets minimized. I think it's viewed as just kind of an adjunct to the Abrahamic covenant. And there is so much there with the Davidic covenant that speaks that David's the greatest type of Christ we have in the Old Testament. And the, the aspect of the Davidic covenant that addresses the angels as well. 
anyone. Yeah, he will cry, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is, uh, when you see the, the relationship of David to the greater son of David and the role that uh, he portrays in that, there's uh, a lot to deal with. Anyway, listening and proclaiming. Let's go back to Proverbs 21, 28. The man who listens will speak forever. The man who listens will speak forever. And I hope we just chew on that for a while and wonder about it and uh, just realize that not only do we have eternal life, we have eternal loquaciousness. I got that from Ed last week. We, you know, E-L and E-L, eternal life and eternal loquaciousness. We're going to live forever and we're going we're gonna to offer the, the testimony forever. Then uh, verse 29, a wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. Upright and not phony is the simple walk that acknowledges God in all our ways. Upright and not phony. See, the first half of the verse is phony. The wicked man displays a bold face. The wicked man puts on a good show. The wicked man might impress Somebody, not impressing God, I'll tell you that. He sees right through it. You want to display a bold face? You want to, uh, what's that note say on that? Make firm with his face? Yeah, yeah, trust me. <laughs> okay, that's just phony. And we're not called for that. So we have, we have the simple walk. And uh, we're supposed to be upright. As for the upright, he makes his way sure. What, is it, what does it take to be upright? Just listen, walk with God. It's the simplicity and purity of, of devotion to Christ. Anyway, we're going to acknowledge God in all our ways. We're going to make our way sure. How do we make our way sure? I don't know. God's going to do it. I'm just going to trust him. So that's kind of an echo of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. There you go. And uh, He will make your path straight. So your way is sure. It's, a, it's just as simple as that. You don't feel like you have to put on the bold face. Don't feel like you have to impress everybody. Here's the key. So, you know, if you're a husband and, and, and biblical leadership for your wife doesn't mean you have to convince her that you know everything and have all the answers and can take care of all... You just have to simply walk with the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's uh, If you're going to pastor a church, if you're going to be an elder, you're going to be a deacon, whatever you're doing, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Psalm 22.5, we were just in Psalm 22. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Okay, that's what it's about. So trust the Lord. Walk by faith. Run with endurance the race that's set before you. If he put the race right there, he's got a reason for it. If his race calls for a left turn and you prefer to make a right turn, well, make the turn he wants. That's right. Walk by faith. Acknowledge him. Don't lean on your own understanding. If you think your way is better, it's not. That's just the lie of Satan saying, oh, come on, come on. Here's what God's not telling you. 
Here's, here's what he's afraid of. Here's why you should disobey. And that's just satanic lies. No, obey. Uh, Psalm 25, 3. Yep, nobody. Verse 1 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause. That's the crowd that's going to be ashamed. Okay? But trusting in the Lord, waiting upon the Lord, calling upon the Lord, they'll never have a regret. No one ever has. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes will not be disturbed, disappointed, shaken, different ways that we can render it, in a hurry, I think the, the, the agitation, the turmoil, this is where we, we are so thankful that we have an anchor. We have a rock. We're not tossed to and fro. We're, uh, we're not uh, by every wind of doctrine. We have stability by virtue of being grounded in faith. It's not unique to the church age. It's always been the provision. Here is an Old Testament passage whereby there's the stability. He who believes will not be disturbed, quickly shaken overthrown. But it comes to faith in the cornerstone, grounded in Christ. Isaiah 49 23. Back up slightly. Alright, 49.22 Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the people. This is a future glory promise, looking forward to the millennium. It hasn't happened yet. When the nations get together today, it's usually to attack Israel or criticize them or, or steal money from the United States or other things that they're doing. But there will come a day when uh, the nations will gather together to worship Jesus Christ. And so I will uh, lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples. They will bring your sons into their bosom and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders Kings will be your guardians, their princes your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. Hold this passage in mind when we get to uh, the serpent uh, licking dust, eating dust in Genesis 3. You will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. It's never happened yet. It can't happen that, uh, that a believer trusts in the Lord and is, uh, regrets it, is uh, disappointing, does not receive the, the faithfulness of God. It, now, it may not be the faithfulness of God they were expecting, <laughs> okay? because what they were expecting was so short of what the faithfulness of God was actually calling for. It's still God's faithfulness. It's the manner that he chooses to display his faithfulness that sometimes catches us by surprise. But it's still his faithfulness. We praise God for that. All right, so we want to be upright and not phony. Put that on a business card. <laughs> upright and not phony. All right. 
fighting the Lord is useless. Fighting the Lord is useless. Proverbs 21.30 Fighting the Lord is useless. I'm not sure how far we'll get with this. We're already 53 minutes in and 7 minutes to go. And these are a lot of verses and B has a lot of verses too. Um, the Proverbs 21.30 There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. Not successful anyway. Okay, There's plenty of wisdom that's hostile to God, but not for us. Satan's got counsel, all kinds of counsel that's hostile to God. And uh, there have been endeavors against God ever since uh, Satan fell. But not in our books. For us, there is no counsel. There is no wisdom. There is no understanding. None of this against the Lord. And certainly nothing that ever succeeds even all the counsel that is against the Lord never succeeds. He thwarts it. He brings it to nothing. It's accounted as nothing in His sight. All the plans, all the schemes, all the, uh, from, from the alpha moment to the, or not the alpha moment, but from the satanic fall moment. And uh, the very first glimmer of thoughts, when, when Satan's pride began to give him those ideas that maybe, maybe God is not true. Maybe, maybe there's a better way. And he started to entertain those ideas. Those, those internal thoughts led to the first mental attitude sin. So uh, whenever that line got crossed and Satan became a, 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 a sinner, that's uh, from that moment to the end of uh, to the uh, great white throne, in between there is that period where God's permissive will allows for decisions and actions contrary to His design. And yet, not one purpose of His is ever thwarted. Isn't that glorious? And He doesn't have to rigidly determine everything or make all those choices happen. He's fully aware of those choices. And He doesn't, doesn't phase Him one bit. He's so beyond all of that. Billions of beings and billions of choices. And uh, that, that, that's what kills me. Okay, I, I get impressed with things like that. I kind of disappointed Ed this morning when I wasn't impressed with uh, a rover on Mars. Okay, it's a big deal, I get it. Um, but this, billions of creatures, angels and humans, making billions of choices. So multiply that out, that's a lot of zeros. Okay, and yet in God's sovereign plan, not one tiny iota of God's sovereign plan is thwarted. Not one, ever. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. So let's um, give you a preview of what we'll do with this in two weeks. Remember, there's no class next week. Um, but after the flood, you would think humanity would learn its lesson. And after the flood, um, they would say, okay, we're done rebelling against the plan of God. No, not even. After the flood, the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth begin first off with a, a, a program and they, they submit to this great hero and the great hero Nimrod. And it's curious, you know, how the, the, the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth can absolutely just depart 
from the, uh, from the Noahic covenant. They can depart from the commands that were given when they, when they left the ark to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and to, to walk humbly with the Lord. And they're not going to do any of that. Instead, they're going to build a tower. They're going to build a city. They're going to make a name for themselves. And, um, and they're going to celebrate this Nimrod, right? <laughs> and they're going to celebrate this anti-hero that they turn into a hero. A mighty hunter before the Lord or a mighty hunter against the Lord, depending on how you handle the, the Hebrew idiom on that. But either way, this is not Abraham walking humbly before the Lord in, uh, in obedience to the covenant. This is Nimrod walking before the Lord, doing his own thing in defiance of what the Lord would have for him to do. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Anyway, this gets us into uh, some different things. So stay tuned for that, okay? We're going to be doing, this is going to work well um, with our Genesis studies. Job 23. He is unique, and who can turn him? What his soul desires, that he does. I love this. This is a great definition of sovereignty. He is unique. There is no one like him. When you're a one of a kind and someone says, I'll be like him, no, you won't. Because he's a one of a kind. The only I am, the only self-existent, the only uncreated one, the uncaused cause. And any other arrogance that comes along and says that they can be like the uncaused, it's too late. They're already caused. They already are a caused being before they went so insane and stupid to rebel. He is unique, and who can turn him? What his soul desires, that he does. The rest of us, we might have desires, but, you know, there's things I would love to do, I just can't afford it. <laughs> things I, I would love to do, but, uh, you know, there's consequences if I did, so uh, I don't want to go to prison, so um, I just think about it. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about anything immoral or you know but i mean aren't there just some politicians you would love to just slap them okay i'm on youtube i'll tell them right to my face all right right to their face what his soul desires that he does no one can thwart him no one can turn him no one talks him out of it Anyway, we'll come back to this. Fighting the Lord is useless. Heavenly Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you for the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I thank you for the walking humbly with our God. This is what's required, and you have told us what is good. And so, uh, Father, I thank you. Thank you for these Proverbs. Thank you for this truth. Prepare us even now to be daily listeners and to be daily testifiers. Father, we listen and we... Uh, we testify. You are awesome. Thank you for this day. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.